Conservative. Constitutional. It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. And welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky politics from a constitutional and conservative point of view. You can catch the Andrew Cooper Writer Show Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. on WZXI. You can also catch each episode on every major podcasting platform, as well as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Rumble. The episode is not posted, though, on those other platforms until 1 p.m. So if you want to catch the Andrew Cooper Writer Show at that 9 a.m. time, you got to make sure you tune in to WZXI. If you are outside the WZXI listening area, have no fear. You can always catch that show by listening to the WZXI live feed that you can find on my website, theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's theandrewshow.com. You can email your thoughts and questions and stories that you want to see covered to info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that email address, info at theandrewshow.com. I want to start off by encouraging you to tell your friends and neighbors about this show. Not only is staying informed on what's going on right in your own backyard incredibly important, but also after an election like they had yesterday, you're going to hear many of the national pundits attempt to give you thoughts on the race that happened in Kentucky. The problem is they're often unaware of exactly what is happening in Kentucky politics, what happens right here in the state. So if you want a really good analysis of not just what happened yesterday, but about everything going on in Kentucky politics, make sure you encourage others and yourself to tune in to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. So obviously the election happened yesterday. I want to go over the results with you. Amy Bashir uh, ended up winning with 53% of the vote for governor. Then at Secretary of State, Michael Adams, he won re-election with 61% of the vote. Attorney General Russell Coleman, uh, elect now, he won uh, with 58% of the vote. Auditor Allison Ball won that with 61% of the vote. Keep in mind, Allison Ball is our current state treasurer. Now she will be our auditor into next year. And then for treasurer, Mark Metcalf won with 57% of the vote. Then finally, for agricultural commissioner, Jonathan Shell won with 59% of the vote. So obviously, other than the governor's race, it was a pretty sizable uh, a defeat of all the other Democrats down ballots, pretty much a 60 to 40-ish percent uh, was about what you're expecting. But that governor's race, which leaves a lot of things to go over, a lot of things that we can dig into to kind of give us some idea of exactly what went on last night and why did Bashir win? And that is, of course, the million-dollar question. Question on everybody's mind. Why did Bashir win? Well, I got to tell you, I'm going to give you my take, my answers. I'm not going to guarantee you're going to like them. Uh, I already made a post on Facebook. I'll talk about this later on. I made a post on Facebook yesterday where I kind of gave a little quick brief overview and I could tell some people didn't like it. I'm going to address their comments as well in this show. But first, let's start off with Cameron's concession speech from last night. Let's take a listen to that. Well, that didn't turn out exactly how I wanted it to. Well, look, uh, it has been such an honor 
to run as the Republican nominee for governor and to run alongside uh, someone who uh, is the pride of Henderson County and the best-dressed man I know. The fact that he runs a dry cleaners might have something to do with that. Uh, but, but Robbie Mills, it's been an honor. I promised the governor I'd be brief, so I'll uh, be brief tonight and say thank you all. Thank you so much for your willingness and commit to this campaign and this effort an effort that was ultimately about our kids and our grandkids. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, oftentimes when I'd go into counties and communities, I would bring the best campaigner I know with me, my wife, Mackenzie Cameron. Yeah. Doesn't she look radiant tonight, I think? Yeah. But it's been an honor to be uh, her husband. Uh, we've got a 22-month-old at home, and uh, we've got a, another one on the way next spring. So, uh, But whether it was Mackenzie or, or Vicki Mills or all of you all here, again, this was about future generations. And as I called the governor uh, to congratulate him, I know from his perspective and from all of our perspectives that we all want the same thing for our future generations. We want a better commonwealth, one in which it can ultimately be a shining city on a hill a model and example for the rest of the nation to follow. And so as I did with Governor Bashir, I want all of us to think about what these next few decades will look like. And I ask that you pray for Governor Bashir and his team and for all of our Commonwealth. Because at the end of the day, win, lose, or draw, what ultimately matters is that we know that Christ is on the throne. Thanks, Mac. <laughs> but that's what Mackenzie and I will return to. We'll return to trying to be the hands and feet of Christ. I know that you all will as well. We'll try to instill those principles in Theodore and the child that will be named at some point. We're still trying to figure that name out. But that's what it's about here on this earth, about leaving better, it better than you found it and giving a better future for your kids and your grandkids. So let us continue in that effort. Let us continue in that work. I want to thank my campaign team. I'm not going to name all of them, but I want to give a shout out to Terry Carmack, my big brother. Brandon Moody, who has been with me since the 2019 campaign. 
And the final member of the Troika, Scott Jennings. Thank you, my friend. And of course, I've got to give a shout out to my mom, who is a prayer warrior. So thank you to all of you. May God bless you and God bless Kentucky. Thank you so much. So there was his concession speech. I want you to remember two of the names he mentioned there, Terry Carmack and Scott Jennings. Because, well, if I was Cameron, I wouldn't exactly be thanking them after all the campaign loss. And it lost in large part due to their inability to properly strategize. Uh, Longtime listeners of the show will know that for months on end, I've been pointing out where Cameron campaign has been missing the ball. Messages I know that they've gotten because not only have I been quoted in newspapers talking about this, but also as well because there are other points that I will talk about on this uh, show that then the Cameron campaign will pick up as talking points, but they never seemed to pick up some of the strategy we talked about. And, and, and we'll dig into the numbers and dig into what it tells us about the strategy they should have taken. Uh, after this short break, you're listening to the Andrew Kubrider Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. We'll see you all back here in just a few short minutes. We'll see you soon. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrider Show your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. Before the break, I played for you Cameron's concession speech as well as kind of opened up into the topics we'll be covering today. And as I mentioned, I want to go, I want to dig into some data points to kind of point to some issues, some important data points. And I want to zero in on two counties, Kitten and Campbell counties. These two counties, I was watching like a hawk. All, all night long, seeing the initial results come in. And personally, I knew that Cameron has lost this campaign as soon as 40% was reporting out of Kenton and Campbell counties and Bashir had actually gained ground. As it turned out, it, it held to be true. So four years ago, when Bashir ran and had that narrow victory over Bevin, he got 51% of the vote in Campbell and 49.5% of the vote in Kenton. Now he won both those counties, but those were the percentages that uh, Bashir was able to pull out of there. Now, last night, Bashir was able to increase his holdings in there and in, in, in that, uh, in those counties, he ended up getting 53% of the vote in Kenton and 54% of the vote in Campbell, moving up several percentage points up. Now, remember, when votes switch over to somebody, they come away from somebody. So if, if Bashir pulls in two more percentage points, well, that actually increases the lead by four percentage points. And what's funny is when you look at the election, um, it was six percentage points apart that Andy uh, Bashir was from Cameron. They, you know, Bashir took 53% of the vote. So with that in mind, you can kind of see where he gained three, four, 5% in that Kenton County area. And you could pretty much predict the outcome just from those two counties. And there's an interesting point I also want to make about those counties. And that points to exactly how Cameron got it wrong. You see those counties there, uh, produce some of the most conservative representatives, both in our state house and the most conservative representative we have in Congress uh, out of Kentucky. You, you've got Steve Doan, you've got um, 
Rawlings, uh, Steve Rawlings, Representative Doan, Representative Rawlings, and Representative Proctor. Those three are all some of the most conservative members of our state legislature in our state house. And those three are all have area in that Campbell and Kenton counties. In fact, uh, Steve Doan, just in 2022, in the same in his district, Bashir won, but in his district a year ago, he won walking away with it, almost 60% of the vote, over 60% of the vote, he won in those same counties that now Bashir's coming back and winning by 54% just a year later. And it's not just him. I mean, looking at Thomas Massey, uh, in my opinion, one of, if not the most conservative members of Congress that Kentucky produces. And Massey will win Kenton and Campbell counties, both by 18 points, meaning Massey takes 60% of the vote during the general. But yet Bashir, for some reason, those same exact counties that vote for Bashir, that vote for Massey, sorry, 60%, go 54% for Bashir. Why is that? What's going on? What does that tell us? Well, it tells us very specifically that if you want to win, you have to have a message. You cannot be a moderate Republican. And I think that is the greatest sin that Cameron and his team decided to go upon. They decided that we're going to try to not offend anybody. And by doing so, we're going to say nothing. And then we're not going to inspire anybody to turn out and vote. Or we're not going to inspire our base to turn out and vote. We're not going to inspire people to choose us over any Bashir because we're not going to give them a good reason to vote for us. And because of that, and because when you have these conservative candidates like Massey, like uh, uh, Doan, like Rawlings, like Proctor, that are, are anything but moderate, they give people an inspiring reason to go vote for them. That's why they win big in an area where in turn, a more moderate Republican will lose in big races. I mean, a congressional race is a big race. That tells us something very specific. In fact, Andy Bashir actually flipped five more counties last night turned blue for him than four years ago. He won five more counties, at least five more counties. And, and that's just that, that he gained ground in so much so that it went from red to blue. In fact, let's zero in on Fayette County, okay? Uh, and this is what I mean by in these hard races, you've got to have an inspiring candidate that turns people, gets people out. You have to have an inspiring campaign strategy. And I'm going to zero in on the county clerk's race. There was a special election going on for county clerk in Fayette County. You had Don Perkins going up against uh, uh, Susan Lamb. Now, Don Perkins, uh, you know, campaigned as best as she could with the resources she had, but she certainly didn't campaign as hard as Cameron should have, or at least did. Didn't have as many ads, obviously, next to no ads in Fayette County running. Um, you know, didn't really, obviously didn't have the same door knocking apparatus and the same type of campaign apparatus that Cameron had, but yet Don Perkins running for County clerk took 33% of the vote in Fayette County, but Cameron instead only got 28% of the vote. And this loss really comes down once again to this campaign strategy. And it was awful, awful from the start. And it has a lot to deal with <clears throat> some of who Cameron brought in. As I mentioned in the first segment, when he thanked Terry Carmack and Scott Jennings, 
I wouldn't be thanking them. In fact, I was quoted in a Herald Leader article several months ago stating that bringing on Terry Carmack and Scott Jennings to be the leaders on this campaign was <clears throat> one of, if not the biggest mistake Cameron can make. Why? Both these individuals have extreme McConnell ties. Now, whether or not you like McConnell or hate McConnell or anything else like that, put that to the side. The reason why it's important about these McConnell ties is because they don't really know how to campaign. These people are completely out of touch with the main base of conservatives and the main amount of people that win individuals over. The Terry Carmacks and Scott Jennings of the world are the types of people that really don't like Trump at all. They find him distasteful. They don't think he checks all the right political boxes. And yet, because they dislike him so much, and, and I'll give you more evidence as to how much they dislike him and how wrong they were here in a second and how that led to this defeat, but because they don't like him and they're that type of people that don't like him, they're the types of people that make these bad decisions. They campaign like they did back in the 80s and 90s. And, and then they use their experience that they get from running McConnell's re-election campaigns. And they say, okay, this is just how you run an election. But it's not. In fact, Terry Carmack is uh, Mitch McConnell's chief of staff. He's right now on loan, quote unquote, was on loan to the Cameron campaign. So he wasn't current. He was currently off. If you went and checked, he wasn't uh, currently there where for staff. And he <coughs> campaigned and they campaigned in general the same exact way that McConnell does when he's running for re-election. But here's the problem. It's two different types of races. Like I said, long-term listeners of this show know I did a sh show titled Cameron is running the wrong type of race. Because you see, Cameron was running a race like he was an incumbent. Say as little as possible. People know what you're like. But that's the wrong type of race. You need to be a turnout election and you need to convince people to vote for you, not just against your opponent. The number one reason why people, when you asked them, why are you voting for Cameron amongst the Republican Party base and elsewhere, they would say, because at least he's not Bashir. Well, that's not a good enough reason to win over voters. At least he's not X, isn't it? And you're not going to win over voters by being moderate either. I mean, look at Trump wins massive amounts in Kentucky, but yet he is the farthest thing from moderate. What he is, is he's a clear and concise communicator. He takes complicated policy things <coughs> such as immigration, such as, uh, you know, corruption, those types of things. He consolidates it down into a few lines such as build the wall or drain the swamp, but it gives you actions that he's going to be doing. He recognizes the problem and then he gives you in a way a solution when he's talking about this rhetoric. That's the kind of thing that Trump does. But these are the kinds of things that individuals like Carmack and, and, and Jennings, they don't grasp. They don't understand. They don't care about policy at all. In fact, um, you know, during this campaign, I was told at one point, Terry Carmack expressed some frustration that people like me didn't really like him. And he said, I don't understand why people don't like me. I'm not about policy at all. I'm just about winning. Well, that's why we don't like you because we are about policy and you can't have a candidate who has no policy. It, it, look, when you want to win an election, especially an off-year election, you need boots on the ground. You need people excited to turn out and vote for you, but you also need people excited to work for you. And if you are not going to give them 
a hard reason why they want to work for you. It depresses the excitement. When you flip-flop on abortion, it depresses the excitement in the election. When you, you get up on stage on these debate performances and you run away from things like school vouchers, those of you may remember that uh, Cameron refused, refused to say he was for school vouchers during the general. And I have no idea why. It polls great. Uh, I have no idea why they made that decision. That is a decision they made. And several times, Bashir, during these debates, they were able to hit him for the fact that he didn't have any policy that Cameron really didn't have any hard policy. And that, I think, would be the number one death nail in Cameron's coffin. Look, Cameron is uh, um, a good person, certainly a good person. But at the same time, you've got to grab control of your campaign and say, this isn't working. Months ago, people were calling this out saying, your campaign isn't working. You're not uh, organized. You're not out there pushing. You're not running as many ads. You're not, you're not organizing as much as the Democrats are. And on top of that, you have no message for people to grasp onto. If we want a moderate, well, you already have somebody in that moderate lane. That is Bashir. Well, coming up, we're going to explore a few other things on this campaign, including election integrity issues that I've heard a few people bring up. We'll have all that and more coming up after this short break. You're listening to The Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. We'll see you guys here in just a few short minutes. And you are back with the Andrew Kubrater Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional and conservative perspective. Before the break, I mentioned um, we dig into some more reasons why Cameron lost. Now, a common thing that I'm seeing online in a lot of places about Cameron's loss is a course about voter fraud. And let me be very, very clear, okay? I believe there is at least some fraud or voter integrity issues in almost every single election. In fact, also too, is so you guys know, um, I also got an email about this uh, yesterday from a Mary in Jesmond County. She wanted to hear my thoughts on election integrity, election integrity issues. And so I want to make sure I answer that for her too as well. And if you have your own questions for me, you go ahead and email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. So to answer Mary and other people's comments from online on an election integrity issues. To me, my main concern in Kentucky about election integrity comes mainly from people not knowing the process and, and poor training of uh, poll workers, especially. I'll give you some examples. In 2022, some people were handed the wrong uh, city council ballots in Fayette County, which caused some questions about the outcome of, of course, that election as people who weren't in the district were voting uh, on a city councilman that doesn't represent them. In Nicholasville, in Jesmond County, there were issues with people getting the wrong ballots, getting ballots with uh, the wrong magistrates, getting ballots with the city council races on them while they aren't living in the, the city proper of Nicholasville itself. Those were issues going on in 2022. Those types of election integrity issues, to me, very, very scary and very important that we address. And, and when I mean there's fraud or election integrity issues with almost every election, I know that those things go on. Somebody casts about they shouldn't have. Um, a poll worker answers a question the wrong way, uh, doesn't provide you know the right 
answers or directions to people. I, I Those things go on in every election. The question is, is it enough to change the outcome of the election? Um, and obviously with the kind of margin we see out of last night's election where it's a six point difference, five, six point difference, I really don't see that there could be enough fraud in that way to really change the outcome of that election. Now, a lot of people want to bring up, well, the race was stolen and everything else. I'm going to remind you guys, that is not my job on this show to fill you full of cookies and rainbows. I'm going to give you my honest opinions, and here it goes. And this might hurt you. But that election last night wasn't stolen. It wasn't stolen. You know how I know it wasn't stolen? Because people like me, the polls, people on the ground felt that Bashir was going to win. Every step of the way, Bashir was going to win. It's not like the polls showed one thing and then the outcome last night was completely, absolutely different. And in fact, I think sitting there claiming, well, it must have been stolen is a, is a cop-out. It's a cop-out in this case because it means you can't do the hard things and ask the hard questions. What types of people are we electing? What types of people are we putting forward? What kind of campaigns are they running? I mean, we don't want to face the hard questions about the future of the GOP, not just its leadership locally, but also its leadership at the national level. I mean, the National Party did very little on this supposed most important race to them, but yet does very little to actually fund and push the race. I mean, Cameron should not have been struggling for money as much as he has been with it being such an important race for Republicans, but yet that is what we saw. And then additionally, locally, when it comes to the leadership of these Republicans, they value more so people falling in line and being quiet than they value actually addressing issues and concerns. And, and answering those hard questions and dealing with that is really difficult for people. And also coming to terms with the fact that people just don't think like you. Over 150,000 people last yesterday, last night, voted four Republicans down ballot and then voted for Bashir. And I can't tell you how many Republicans have said to me and come up to me, I just don't understand. How do they do that? How, how do these people vote down ballot and then suddenly switch over? And the answer is really simple. They're not you and me, okay? They're not in this bubble of, of Republican Party bubble. This bubble where, you know, you can't say anything bad about a Republican to begin with or you'll be shunned. I mean, yesterday, last night, I posted on Facebook um, a, a really simple post that really conceptualized. I also posted on Twitter and it simply said uh, this right here, that just a friendly reminder that in hard races, Republicans need to run inspiring candidates, perhaps ones not tied to Mitch McConnell. And one of the responses I want to zero in on uh, um, really comes from, and, and this just really handles all the problems. Maybe Republicans should stop attacking their own base on BS premises like tied to McConnell. That might help. Here's the deal. This desire to just have everybody be quiet if they have anything negative to say about a Republican is exactly why we end up in this situation because they're not in your circle. There is groups of people out there in Kentucky that don't think like you. There's a lot of registered, understand this, there's a lot of registered Republicans that at one point in their life were registered Democrats. Thousands of them. 
over 150,000 of them that at one point in their life, a registered Democrat switched to Republican. A lot of our voters in Kentucky, even the Republican ones, have voted for Democrats before. While you may have been a lifelong conservative or a lifelong Republican, and while you can't understand how they could vote for a Democrat, you're not them. You're not these people that are looking at the National Democrat Party, looking at what they stand for, disgusted, but not necessarily turned off by local Democrats because they voted for local Democrats before. But because people can't understand that, they want to point to fraud because they're like, well, all the other Republicans won, but Cameron didn't. But Cameron didn't. Well, then that must be fraud at the top of the ballot, which also doesn't make sense. Why would you cast a ballot? There, there was only about, uh, I'd say probably 40, 50,000, maybe 100,000 at the most uh, races, uh, votes cast where they only voted for the governor and nobody else down ballot. Otherwise, everybody else voted down ballot. So why would you, quote unquote, steal the governor's election and then not steal all the down ballot positions, too? If you're going to do it, mines will do it anyway. Mines will do the whole thing. But no, this was the expected outcome from the beginning. So you don't get to claim fraud because you don't like the outcome. And I understand a lot of this is carryover from the 2020 election. And I hear you there. I've given you my opinion on that, th those issues. And there's a lot of questions to be asked about that 2020 election. But I'm talking about last night's election. And I know there are issues regarding, you know, a, a gas leak at one voting location and another issue uh, regarding a lockdown at another voting location due to police presence and safety issues. And I hear you there. But at the same time, please look internally for a second and look at that campaign. You saw a, at least a 10 to 1 ratio on the uh, governor's election as far as ads go. I mean, I got tons of Bashir ads on things like YouTube on like my mobile game apps, um, on my streaming places, tons of Bashir ads in these locations that then in turn, Cameron didn't deliver on that. As well, frankly, the Democrats ran a lot better get out the vote campaign in the final days than the Republicans were able to do so. They just did. And, and like I said, you can not like the fact, you can hate me for telling you the truth, but the election, it's not, you don't get to cop out by saying, well, that only happened because of fraud. That, that's a weak cop out in this case, because you don't want to do the hard work of convincing other people to see things your way. You don't want to do the hard work of making sure that we elect inspiring and great candidates. And I'm not trying to attack anybody personally. I'm just saying, pointing out a very simple fact. And I know I'm going to get tons of emails and messages from people that love to tell me how I'm wrong about last night's election. But I'm just telling you from somebody who saw this coming from a mile away, fraud doesn't make sense to me as much as everything else does. Well, coming up after this break, um, I'll be going over uh, just a few more things about last night's election, what we can learn from it, what we need to do moving forward so we can actually win these big and important races. You're listening to The Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky politics from a constitutional and conservative perspective. We'll see you guys here in just a few short minutes. And you are back with The Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky politics and news from a constitutional in conservative perspective, <clears throat> you know, before the break, I'd mentioned face Facebook and Twitter posts I made 
regarding the uh, it's a, just a friendly reminder that in hard races, Republicans need to run inspiring candidates, perhaps ones not tied to Mitch McConnell. As I explained earlier, that tied to Mitch McConnell thing, it's not just about the negatives that come from being tied to somebody who's so disliked by his own state, but it is also about the strategy that comes out of the McConnell camp, which frankly doesn't win hard races. Wins Really, I mean, how many races do we got to lose nationwide before we realize this mamby-pamby, not-say-anything-at-all strategy doesn't work? But putting that to the side, there was some... Other uh, few things that people said here um, that I wanted to zero in on, and one was somebody had, had, had commented saying that Daniel Cameron was an inspiring candidate. One, clearly not, because he lost. Um, two, <laughs> two, he isn't. Just because somebody talks nice, just because somebody uh, uh, can seem to have the right inflections doesn't mean he's inspiring people to turn out and vote. It's about how do you get people to turn out that are not showing up to those GOP rallies, showing up to the party meetings. This is, this is how Trump wins so big in places like Kentucky. He gets people to turn out and vote that have never voted before. And until you put forward candidates that can conceptualize those things, you're not going to win these kinds of hard races. And my fear here is that what the Republicans in Kentucky will somehow learn from this is they need to be even more moderate. I've already heard people pointing to things like, oh, it was abortion that really got him. He got really hammered on abortion. They hammered him on abortion a lot. And that is what really hurt him. Something also that's stemming from uh, the ballot initiative that dealt with abortion that happened in 2022 and the loss of that. So people just assume, well, abortion is just a losing issue here in Kentucky. And as I've said time and time again, abortion isn't a losing issue. The way you message around abortion is why you're losing because rather than standing up and fighting for what you believe in, you back down the moment it gets hard. Cameron flip-flopped on abortion because he backed down rather than standing up there. Now in the final debate, he finally asked Bashir and held his feet to the fire. When do you cut it off? When do you believe a child's a child and they shouldn't be murdered anymore? At what point do you draw that line? He finally hit him with it, but it took until the final debate for him to really dig into him for that. And then what he did first, as soon as he got a little bit of pressure, because remember the ad came out attacking Cameron over his stance on abortion, legitimately and in, in, in within two days, Cameron flip-flopped his position. That's not inspiring. That doesn't want make the base go out and want to vote for you. On top of that, what else was there to grasp onto? You know, and as I as I I was at the Republican Party of Kentucky election night watch watch party last night and gun to everybody in there's head, the only thing they could say that Cameron would do once in office was give 11% raise to teachers as they came in, a tutoring program and a Medicaid work requirement he would try to get done. That's it. That's all that we have to say. That's all the policy that was proposed through the entire campaign. And this is a very simple fact. The devil you know, for a lot of people, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. And they don't know what the devil, quote unquote, Cameron, the, the, the devil of Cameron, what that looks like 
because it was never conceptualized to them. They know what Bashir looks like in office. Bashir can get away with not saying anything. This is this goes back to that McConnell ties, as I was talking about, the Terry Carmacks and the Scott Jennings that have done nothing but run these re-election campaigns or run in, uh, against non-incumbents trying to take them out. What ends up happening is they don't know how to win hard races. Because they only know how to win races that, well, if we just don't say anything and fly under the radar, we'll be okay. And those are re-election campaigns, and those are down-ticket races, or those are uh, non-incumbent seats that have a good, uh, strong R, uh, good, strong Republican registration to them. But these hard races, they don't know how to handle because they don't understand. You've got to show people what you're going to do once in office. So instead of backing off from things like abortion, instead of backing off from things like guns, which we're seeing right now in our state legislature, pushing forward some red flag gun laws, unconstitutional as all get out, but that's for a different day. I'll cover that more. But point is, is that we see them backing down from these kinds of conservative viewpoints and, and, and straightforward things because that's what they think they need to do to win. But if people wanted a Democrat, they just vote for a Democrat. I mean, let's take a, a, a basic issue, something that many people look to Republicans for leadership on the economy. But yet, through the entire campaign, I never heard one economic idea out of Daniel Cameron. And yeah, I seem, maybe I seem like I'm upset, but I'm upset because this should have been an easy win for Republicans. You've got a guy that's been ruled against, I don't even know how many times, for being unconstitutional and a tyrant. You have a person that literally had wide-scale protests, shut down small mom-and-pop businesses, put them out, shut down churches that did every single thing, but yet wins. You've got a guy that endorses Joe Biden. You got a guy that stands against everything we have to do with. You've got a guy that stands for, uh, you know, the, those transgendering and the transing of the kids. That's all for that. And yet you lose. Why? Because you couldn't stick through a good conservative message. And you couldn't deliver one and paint a picture of what government looks like. And that's why I'm so upset about it. That's why I'm so upset about it. So what do we need from candidates in the future? Well, quite frankly, we need candidates that can be strong conservatives. We need to take a letter out of the books that people like the Masseys, like the, the Representative Dones and Rawlings and, and Proctor, winning in areas where these maybe pamby moderate Republicans lose, yet these stalwart conservatives win time and time again, learn from that and say, we need better candidates that stand for something. There were very real things that Cameron could have painted, things that fire people up. You know, talk about the fact that Bashir is spending tens of millions of our dollars on DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion trainings, that he's spending tens of millions of dollars providing this, this kinds of gender-changing LGBTQ craziness. Point out the fact he's spending millions of dollars on consultants in our schools to push the liberal agenda. I mean, literally, cut an ad. Amy Bashir has spent tens of millions of dollars pushing liberal agendas in schools, hiring firms, far left firms, like blah, 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 blah. I, as Daniel Cameron, will put a stop to that spending. That gets people fired up because you're wasting their money. You're spending their money and they get fired up about it. Those are the type of candidates we need to be putting forward. Candidates that lean into conservatism. 
You know, the Cameron campaign leaned away from conservatism from the beginning. So, so like I mentioned, the Terry Carmack, the Scott Jennings people, those people that were running that campaign early on in all their glory of intelligence decided that they wanted to distance themselves from Trump. You literally had Trump's people trying to figure out how they could get a rally going in Kentucky to help Cameron out in the general. And yet the Cameron campaign and the Republican Party of Kentucky pushed it off. They didn't want it because they were too worried about how Trump would make them look. Literally, Bashir was running, hey, Trumpers, vote for me camp ads before the Cameron campaign was running it. Because you have these people living in their little bubble that, that they just look at some data points here or there and, and, and don't, they're not actually conservative. They don't actually believe in anything. They just believe in Team R versus Team D. And because of that, they're not in touch with the base. And so they do dumb things like not having Donald Trump come in and help Cameron out in person. Huge, gigantic mistakes. Huge, gigantic mistakes. So in the future, let's learn from this. Let's stop running moderate campaigns in a conservative state, in a red state. Let's run some candidates that really reflect our values and can conceptualize a vision. Where there is no vision, the people will perish. Let's learn from that and put forward these great candidates. Otherwise, we will continue to lose on elections where it really, really matters right here in Kentucky. Well, y'all, that's all we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 9 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you soon.